Welcome back to the Parbar Podcast. <clears throat> Today, we are looking at Genesis 11 briefly with the Tower of Babel. And if you'd like to read the first 10 verses of the chapter, because that is where we will be spending our time, please pause now and do so. Nimrod first built the city of Babylon, or Babel, and then he moves on to build Nineveh which ends up being the capital of Assyria. And the Tower of Babel, the dispersion of the Tower of Babylon, explains that move. Why did he build Babel and then Nineveh? Well, because God dispersed the tower. Now, the New King James says that the whole earth had one language and speech. And the English Standard Version says one language and the same words. What's going on here at the Tower of Babel with these people? The Hebrew words that are translated as language is the word lip, and the word translated as speech is the Hebrew word for words. So we could say that these people had one lip and one word. What does this mean? Lip in the Bible is not used primarily of our anatomy, but rather when the word lip is used in the Old Testament in Hebrew, it is used for confession. Not confession of sin, but confession of faith. For example, in Zephaniah, you all know where that is. <coughs> in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, we read this. Therefore wait for me, says Yahweh, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure lip, that they all may call on the name of Yahweh to serve him with one accord. So here we have God gathering all the nations of the world into his kingdom, pouring out the fire of his jealousy, which could be an allusion to the Holy Spirit, so that he would restore all the peoples to a pure lip, calling on his name and serving him. This is lip as in confession. Malachi chapter 2 verse 7 is another place, for example. It says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of Yahweh of hosts. The priests who serve in the temple at the time Malachi is writing, are the ones who are to keep the confession of God, to guard his law, and to speak of him always. There's a whole list, a whole host of passages like this from the book of Job and the Psalms and Isaiah. Probably you remember Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah says that he is a man of unclean lips. That means he's not been faithful in his confession, and he needs to be purified. So the whole world in Genesis 11 had one confession, one ideology, one belief, and they had one language, one vocabulary, one way of speaking. And what happens at the Tower of Babel then is the diversification of religions and of languages. In verse 2, we see that these people move eastward to build the tower in the city. 
And eastward is a movement away from God, like Cain who moved, or Adam and Eve when they headed east out of the Garden of Eden, or like Cain who moved east from the gates of the Garden of Eden and wandered until he built a city. These people wander east and likewise build a city. Now, who are these folks who are moving? If we, if we read from Genesis 10, verse 25, to chapter 11, verse 2, without a chapter break, if you just read straight through, then the antecedent to these people would be the descendants of Shem. Not only do we have a repeat of Cain building a false city apart from God, but we also have the sins of the sons of God being repeated. If you remember from previous episodes of this podcast, the Shemites are the covenant members. And now they are joining up with the descendants of Ham, namely Nimrod, and they are rebelling against God. These wayward Hebrews join Nimrod in the building of a city and a tower, and what they build is the Tower of Babel, which would be the center of their false worship, remember one lip, one confession, and of one language. This is the place of false worship. And God had told Adam, if you recall, and he told Noah, to scatter around the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. But these folks, God's covenant people, reject the command. They refuse to take dominion in all the earth in the way that God had laid out for them, namely through patient faith. They wanted an instant city. Cain had one. Maybe we can have one too. They wanted instant glory. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They were trying to take dominion built on the power and the might of man. They did not want to wait for God to give them a name, which we will see Abraham do just shortly. Instead, they were going to take a name for themselves, like Adam taking the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or like Ham taking Noah's robe of authority, or like the sons of God taking the daughters of men. These people take a name for themselves. In verse 3, we read that the bricks are burned thoroughly. And the text reads, burn them, burn them. It's repeated for emphasis. It's like in Genesis 2 and 3 when God says, of eating of the tree of the knowledge of evil, dying you will surely die. Well, in the Hebrew, it's just dying, dying. Now, there's an analogy, of course, in the Bible between men and stones. This is because God is the rock and we are made in his image. We are stones. Each one of us individually, Peter says, are living stones being built up into God's holy temple on the earth. Now, because of this analogy and the symbolism in Scripture, some have thought that this burn, this burning of bricks, this emphasis here, has to do with human sacrifice. You could think of some Mayan ziggurat and the human sacrifice that was the foundation of their cities. Well, some think the same thing might be happening here. Well, all I can say to that is maybe could be. In verse 4, they found a city and a tower that reaches up to the heavens to make a name for themselves. These people like Adam want to become God. They want to become divine. Ascend the levels of the tower to the top and reach a deity. They're trying to circumvent the way in which God has determined his people to grow in his likeness. And in case you wanted to know, God's way of having us grow in his likeness is through patient and faithful endurance, maturity through his fatherly discipline. But these people want to be divine. They want the image of God to grow in his likeness through their rebellion, which just doesn't happen. 
And they say they do this, lest they be scattered. Which is exactly what God said for Noah and his descendants to do in Genesis 9.1. So to be faithful, these Shemites must scatter according to God's command and be fruitful in all the earth. But lest they be scattered, they move out east, join up with Nimrod, and build the Tower of Babel. They rebel. Instead of taking God's name up, calling upon him, they attempt to elevate their own name, make themselves great. And this is what we would call the antithesis in the world. This is the war against God. In verse 5, we see some good irony. Their tower that's reaching up to the heavens isn't. God has to come down to even see it at all. Psalm 2 reminds us that all the leaders of the people, they work in rebellion, they plot and they scheme and they plan, and he who sits in the heavens laughs. They have no tower at all. They are simply sons of Adam. They are made of dust. We read in verse 5 that these are the sons of men. The Hebrew has a direct article and uh, a definite article attached to that. So it would read, they are the sons of the man. Well, which man are they the sons of? Well, clearly they are the sons of Adam. They are in rebellion, seizing glory that is not theirs. And they are attempting to take what has not been given to them. In verse 6, we read something sort of terrifying. That these people, in their anti-God religion, and in their rebellion, their united rebellion, because they think the same way and have the same confession, nothing can be withheld from them. There is, after all, strength and unity. There is genuine power in being united and having the same confession. But God does not let man have power and unity in the world apart from his word. All humanistic attempts for holistic unity and power will always be disrupted. And thanks be to God. There's a reason the United Nations does not work. This place is called Babylon, which means the gate of heaven, as if they are attempting to storm the gates of God. Now, there is, of course, strength in unity. And when the wicked find that union, God works to destroy it so that evil does not mature over all the earth. If you've read C.S. Lewis's trilogy, the Ransom Trilogy, you'll remember this from That Hideous Strength, the third book in the series, which I highly recommend to you. To shatter the unity here in Genesis 11, God, God does not simply disrupt their language, the vocabulary, uh, the language that they speak, but he also disrupts their creed. From our Christian point of view, you know, from where we stand as Christians, and we look out uh, in the ancient world or even in the current postmodern uh, post postmodern world, the pagans just all seem the same to us. You know, we don't see much difference between somebody in the ancient world who worships Thor or Zeus. You know, they're both thunder gods, right? Or or Baal or Jupiter. But you know, if you tell somebody who worships Zeus that Thor is better. Thor is stronger, Thor is greater, you have a war on your hands. People died over these things because to them, Thor and Zeus were polar opposites. They, they were different gods altogether. Even in today's humanism, you know, the atheistic humanism, from a Christian perspective, is not so different. If I were to ask you, what, what's the difference between Lenin's Marxism and Castro's Marxism, or Mao's Marxism and Biden's Marxism, you'd say, well, they all kind of smell the same. 
But if you were to ask any of them, they'd all be different. They all, to us, seem the same, but to each other they have different creeds and language. So at the Tower of Babel, their religions now come into conflict, and to top it off, they cannot really understand one another anymore anyway, because God disrupts their language. To push back against God, to push back against this and replace it, of course, the wickedness of humanity, has made Christendom to be the great global unifier. To create true unity, to create the confession of one lip, God has given to the church, which bears his word in all the nations, the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts 2 at Pentecost. We have one confession, and we have multiple languages. You see, in Acts 2 at Pentecost, the church does not destroy the languages of the world. God came to save, after all. And those language, uh, languages of the world are God's creation, and they will be used to glorify God. So instead of Pentecost being the reverse of the Tower of Babel, it's sort of the resurrection. Instead of one lip and confession and one language, we have now in the world one confession in all languages. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 10 says this, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. Now notice this. All nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. That is, languages. They're standing before the throne, and they cry out with a singular voice, Here's their lip. Here's their confession. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All nations, all tongues, one confession. We have the full, inspired, and inerrant word of God given to us in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. That's, that's your Bible. And yet the fullness of that revelation will not be borne out in history to the glory of God until his word abides in every language on the earth. And every language, every tongue, will praise God and reveal him to the church in unique ways. Well, that's all I have to say on Genesis 11 so far in the Tower of Babel. Thank you for tuning in to the Parbar Podcast. Mm -hmm.